Turn in your Bibles, you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll spend most of the time there. And again, uh, prayers for Joey as he came down sick last night and has whatever is going around. I guess there's multiple things going around right, right now. And so just pray for him as he, he recovers too. I want to look at one theme and hopefully just, just weave it through the whole passage. That submission to Jesus Christ is everything. And it's everything in the roles that we play. And it's everything in the effectiveness of the roles that we play. And to be outside of submission to Jesus Christ can have its problems in itself. Growing up, uh, there'd often be a jar of something that was sitting on our table. And you'd go to open it as an elementary school kid, and you, you couldn't get it open. And Dad would come and open the jar. We, we, we called that Dad's strength. Sometimes my mom would be trying to get the spaghetti jar open. And we saw Dad open it, and we would try and open it for Mom, and we couldn't especially as we got a little older, and then Dad would come along and open the jar. And he made it look like it was easy. And then he was gracious enough to say, oh, thank you guys for loosening it for me. I, I, I can understand that. So where does Dad get this dad strength? Does it happen just because you become a dad? There was a time when that dad strength came to an end, or it was least challenged. I, um, Brother Richard put that to the challenge. Him and my dad were wrestling on the living room floor, and my mom was sitting there, and she made the comment, I am so glad your dad can still take you boys. With that, Rich kind of took my dad and spun him up in the air and held him up like that, and my mom said, P -p put your father down. And he put him, down, put him down on the ground and said to my mom, now you know we obey you because we want to, not because we have to. And that's key in all this. That, that is key in all that is what we're trying to, to establish in the heart. The strength of a dad comes not only in a physical strength, but it comes in a spiritual strength the very position of a father and position of a husband, comes with it the ability to have enormous influence. And so the spiritual life is also needing to be there and also needing to be invested in. And I'm going to say the extent to which a dad and a husband are submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ and it's evident to the family is the extent of his influence into the family. And that doesn't mean that things can still go awry or won't ever go awry. It means the impact. Because I can't control my child's heart. I can't make my children become Christians. If I did, I would hit them with a two-by-four if it made them become a Christian. It's got to happen inside the heart. And all I have from God is the ability to influence. And it's God that does the work inside the heart. But that's where a father's heart 
has to be. From it, strength will be drawn, spiritual strength, not just physical strength. First of all, it's drawn from his wife. It's kind of hard as a woman to read Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 22, when it says, wives submit to your own husbands is to the Lord. That word submit gets used in a lot of different ways, and in our, our minds, it really conjures up a negative thought. That this is total submission, blind submission, and it's not that at all. In fact, as a dad, looking at my daughter at the age she's in, I've thought about this a lot, because I may not have her home for much longer. And there are days in our relationship where I was looking forward to when some guy would come and take her away because then she would be his problem for a while. But those days are short. The tr- truth is it scares me who she'll get and what it'll be like. In fact, one day I came home and my wife came to me and said, your, your daughter is in the room crying, and you need to go talk to her. And I said, what is she crying about? She's four years old. She needs a dad right now, and you need to go in there and talk to her. No prepping, no anything. I just have to come in and talk to her. And I said, Shelby, what's the problem? And she is just sobbing. I have to leave home now, Dad. I said, why, why would you have to leave home now? Because at church, Wesley told me he loved me. And when someone tells you, you they love you, then you have to marry him. And now I'm going to have to leave the home and go live with Wesley at four years old. I said, Shelby, there, there's a caveat to this. Wesley can't marry you until he talks to me. So you have him come talk to me. And I will just politely tell him, no, he's not able to marry you. And it'll be over. It'll be done. And you'll be free. But the reality is, I want to know who she's marrying. I want to know the heart more than anything else. I want to know the heart of the guy she's marrying. And is it submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ? It'll make all the difference in that marriage. Because she's going to be drawing strength from him in the spiritual arena. There's one other thing that's to this too. Ephesians 5.21 says this phrase, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we know that the submitting going on is not just a one-way street. It's a mutual submission that takes place even inside the marriage relationships. There are times that in the Lord I need to respect and submit to my wife. In the areas that God has given her responsibility for, if I'm going to make things run smooth, something simple, you know, we get new carpet. It's just new carpet to me. It just makes it softer to walk from outside into the house. To my wife, it's new carpet. And she may say something like this. I need everybody to take their shoes off when you come in the house. Now, if you're doing a project outside and you've got to go in and out, in and out, and in and out, that is a real inconvenience. 
And there's a part of you that says, well, I'm the head of the house. I don't have to take my shoes off. Or do I? And I'm going to say in that setting, yeah, you, you take your shoes off. Out of reverence for Christ. Here's the neat thing of it. My wife, on the other hand, because she could see I, I'm really not enjoying taking my shoes off as I go in and out with this project. You know what, you know what she bought me? She bought me these slippers that go over your shoes so that you can walk into the house without ruining the carpet. There is mutual submission that goes on within a relationship because the incredible thing is it's a relationship of equals that are in the marriage. And we understand that anything that's forced in this regard never speaks to the heart. It might bring peace on the outside, but it will never bring peace to the inside of the heart. So submission becomes a difficult thing, but it is the responsibility of all Christians. I'm going to say it really begins with the dad and the father being submissive to Jesus Christ. In fact, it's absolutely key for others that are supposed to come underneath his leadership. So we're going to say that the husband gives strength by his example of submission to Christ. Verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to her husbands. So like Christ, the husband's been made the head of his home, the head of his family, and again, this does not mean that the husband's supreme. It's not, that's not what the Bible's saying. It's a responsibility that God has given to him. It says to submit in everything, everything that's relating to the marriage relationship. But he's not an authority that is to be followed blindly. There's only one authority that's followed blindly. That's Jesus Christ. It's the only perfect supreme authority. And he himself is the Savior, and there's only one Savior. And that's Jesus Christ. And this submission is really the idea of arranging yourself underneath his responsibility. Because it's something that Christ is asking, then in reality, who is she really submitting to if she arranges herself under his responsibility? Jesus Christ. And it's a whole lot easier to follow the role that God has given to our family members if our hearts submitted to Jesus Christ ourselves. As an example, strength can be given from that. He goes on to say he does this with a self-sacrificing love because that's what Christ did. Genuine love, sacrificing love, is an incredibly powerful, powerful thing. It encourages and it gives incredible security to the people around you. And to know that it's not going to take the responsibility and use it in a selfish way is also a security. So what kind of strength and encouragement can be drawn when love is given sacrificially? 
also provides strength by encouraging her in spiritual growth. And here's what I'm going to say is one of the most difficult things as a husband. We're often really, really good at the providing part. We work long hours. We make sure our family has the needs that we would see as far as providing goes. We're really good at the protecting part. We'll take a bullet for our family. We'll stand in the line of fire. Do you want to know what the difficult part is? Investing spiritually. Because it's hard to lead in a direction if you're not heading there yourself. It's really hard to impose or to try to put in place spiritual concepts and precepts and put them into practice. If your heart's not submitted to Jesus Christ, it makes it all the more difficult for those around us goes on to say, he's doing this in verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing. This is Christ talking about his church. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And this is the desire of Jesus Christ with his church. I think by extension, it's the desire of a husband towards his wife. And this can be hard because sometimes my wife understands a passage better than I understand a passage. So does that make me inept as a husband? No, because what's the key? The key to sanctification or bringing somebody along or coming along in, in sanctification is not how much we know, although the knowledge has to be there. We grow in two ways. We grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that only has its impact when there is submission to the knowledge that we know. So so sanctification has two different components to it. I know and I obey. And as I continue to know, I continue to obey. So this becomes absolutely critical. Not so much that I am the most knowledgeable in my home about the word, because you may marry somebody that's been in the word and a Christian for a long, long time as a guy. The, the key is the example of as you are learning and as you are attempting to teach. You grow in that because you see it as a responsibility. And you invest in it. It's called discipleship. A husband and wife are in a discipleship role together. All the time. And in that sense, they're in a role together as equals before God. Because both are created in his image. We're simply helping each other follow the roles that God has given to us for our family because we're trusting that what he's saying is the ideal. And we're asking to help us submit to that as a father and as a husband. In verse 29... In fact, I I was listening to a pastor preach on this once, and I never heard anybody say this. But his wife had become very ill. Um, They still still had had life ahead of them. It wasn't like they were real, real, real old. But his wife got ill prematurely. And his biggest regret was that he had not, as a pastor, invested into his wife spiritually to the extent that he had to the church. 
And in reading the passages like this, it caused him to weep, and he began to plead before God, God, I'm not asking to bargain with you. You're God, basically. You can do what you want. I understand, and you have purpose. But I would be so incredibly thankful if you would give me yet more years with my wife so that I can reorganize and put the attention back where it needed to be to help build her into the Lord so that she would be more prepared to come meet you. And God, in his kindness, did. She recovered. The best of my knowledge, him, on his end, began to direct an attention towards his wife in a spiritual way to build her up that he had neglected through part of his life. Because it says in verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but they nourish it and they cherish it, just like Christ does the church. In other words, nobody takes a hammer and smashes their finger on purpose. No man harms himself on purpose, unless things aren't quite right. But in general, we don't. We take care. And yet Christ is saying that the wife becomes part of the husband's body. The two become one. So start to think about it this way a little bit. If in states of unsubmissiveness to Christ, because that's what it's going to boil down to, I don't speak so kindly to my wife, or I don't exert the patience that I need to in our relationship, or I I harm her emotionally in some way because of the position I have as a husband and wife in that relationship, we have the ability to hurt each other more than anyone else can. I ought to just take a frying pan at that time and hit myself in the head just as hard as I can. And you'd say, well, you wouldn't do that. That would be stupid. But that's what we're doing. When we, in a state of unsubmission to Jesus Christ, do things in reaction that cause harm to our wife, we are hurting ourselves. Because she's ours, and she's part of us, and she's part of me. And no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it, and he cherishes it, cherishes it just like Christ does his church, with the same compassion, the same love, the same sacrifice but in a really imperfect way, because we're not Christ. Because we're members of his body, and therefore a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this is a mystery, it's profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church, and it's so interesting when we talk about this, this idea of arranging ourselves under someone's responsibility. And we say that in the marriage relationship, it's equal with equal. And God and Christ are a picture of that. You have God the Son aligning himself underneath in submission to God the Father. And they're both God. It's a beautiful thing when two people who are equal before God in their nature are able to to live out this type of relationship. And again, part of it's going to be key as a husband. i got to live out submission to Christ in all my relationships too. 
how I respond to my boss, will teach my family a little bit about what I think submission is. How I respond to authorities over me out in the community will teach my family a lot. How I respond to my church leadership will teach my family a lot of what I think about submission. I'm going to say this carries over not just to the wife, but also to the children. God tells the children to honor and to obey, to obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but we understand there's three components to that obedience. First of all, they have to hearken. It's the idea of listening with the intent to obey, like a butler who is waiting for instructions because he's already decided he's obeying the one who's hired him. That's the idea of hearkening. So we stop to listen instead of continue to read the box. I don't even know. I haven't been looking at cereal boxes lately because some of them come in bags now. You know, we used to always read that thing. And while we're reading the cereal box and mom's talking to us, we always had to stop for some reason. We always had to make eye contact. And it was for this particular reason. It's a listening with the intent to obey because my my kid's biggest excuse in this part is, I I didn't hear you say that, even though you said it four or five times. Because they weren't listening with the intent to obey. It wasn't at the heart right then. There's also an acquiescence that comes with it because sometimes you don't always agree with your parents. Especially as you get a little bit older, you don't always agree with your parents because you're thinking about things in a more mature way. Acquiescence simply means that we put our will to the side for the will of the parent. Even if at this point in our life we're not in total agreement, so that might be the actual best. You may find out later I did a lot of times that it was. But there's this idea of acquiescence that goes with it. And then the idea of action. The, the actual carrying out the obedience. And the carry out of the obedience has to come with a heart that's submitted to Jesus Christ or it doesn't actually count. It's like the little boy who got put in time out and he said, I may be sitting in time out, but I just want you to know I am still standing inside. The, the, the heart wasn't there. A lot of what my child is going to understand about submission to Jesus Christ is what they learned from me what they learned from their mom and what they learned from the relationship that her and I are having before God. To obey in the Lord for this is right. So ultimately when a child submits to their parent, who are they really submitting to? Jesus Christ. And that's where we want to keep pointing everything. Because I'm to say to honor your father and mother. This is a commandment with promise. There's blessing in this that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land, and that, that was promised just to the Israelites. But again, there's blessing for the New Testament Christian. And then it makes this statement in verse 4, fathers, and again, it doesn't leave mothers out, but in the culture they were living at, the, fa- the father was the predominant figure in all that. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. 
Not, not <clears throat> talking about the anger that a child has because you said no. Because <laughs> we're supposed to fight that. That's going to happen all the time. Or most of the time. And hopefully it gets to some of the time as you continue to grow as a family. The idea of not provoking means don't irritate or exasperate. It has the idea of injustices that might occur or severity that's occurring that might cause a child to be pushed away from obeying and pushed away from honoring. Provoking them would be a negative influence that that would have the, the potential to suck, if you would, the desire to obey from a child. What will happen if we're submitted to Jesus Christ as we're training our children? It can be unrealistic goals. It can even be a taunting or a demeaning talk or purposely humiliating them in public. All those types of things could fall under the idea of provoking to anger. But in contrast, because again, we, we can't make things happen inside the heart. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring up has the idea to, to nourish up to maturity. It has an investment that comes with it, investment into the life. It includes all facets of the life, spiritual, emotional, intellectual. Through discipline, Again, also the idea of, of nourishing. It's, this, it's the whole education of a child. As one commentator says, it's the whole training and education of children which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals and employs for this purpose now commands when needed, admonitions when needed, reproof when needed, Instruction when needed, punishment when needed, but it's all done in a heart that's submitted to Jesus Christ as we do those things. It was interesting. I, I had a dad that um, he just didn't yell. He just never yelled. Ever. In fact, the most angry I ever saw him was when I told my mom that she was being stupid because I thought I was at an age that I could make that evaluation. And this big hand came from behind me and the shoulder and turned me around in the most stern words I've ever heard him speak, and it really unnerved me because he just was always in control. And he was still, but his voice had a different tone to it than I had heard before. And he said, you will never do that to your mother in this house again. Are we agreed? We are agreed. Thank you. And away he walked. He, he was the type that asked you to do what you were supposed to do. And we might be up in the bedroom as little kids. And of course, we just enjoyed roughhousing with each other. And we might hear just once, hey, that's a little bit too much. Knock it off. That was it. If we didn't knock it off, the next thing you know, someone turned you around and spanked your hind end, and you're going, ah. There, there weren't three times or four times or five times. There's just one time. And then he very calmly came and implemented discipline and encouraged us to not do that again. Speaks to the heart. 
There's also consequences that come with those. I, I remember the night that Rich and I decided that we would, um, and I can tell on Rich because he's here too, we decided that since we somehow came into contact with I don't know how many rolls of toilet paper. It was an incredible number of rolls of toilet paper. And we had a debt to repay that, that we would go get rid of these pieces of the rolls of toilet paper as a repayment of the debt that we needed to pay at someone's house. And we decided it would be beautiful to make it look like winter in the summertime. But my dad had just said to us, don't do anything. I need you to come straight home. Last words. But it was too enticing. In fact, it was right over here on Clarkston Road, right in front of the Clarkston Community Church. And that was all kind of new back then. And we decided, because they had security there at the time, we thought it was the police. We hid in the ditch as the lights came over. And then we jumped in our car and decided, we got to get out of here, but we better turn our lights off so that nobody sees us coming and going. And I thought we were on a road we used to ride our bikes on, and I don't remember the confusion. Rich, Rich would say it's normal for my life. But I remember taking off and driving the car with all the lights off, and it's getting kind of dark, but then all of a sudden we came where there wasn't any light, and I thought I could just go straight forward to the road on the other side and cut across the neighborhoods, and all of a sudden we went... Whoosh, whoosh, Nose end into the ditch. Richard's head hits the windshield, cracks the windshield. My, my head would not have done that, but his, his did that. And now we are coming home late, right after we were told to come straight home. And we drive up in the driveway with a cracked windshield in a car that my dad got for all of us to share as long as we took care of it. And he came out, and I went, we're dead. You know, we're dead. And he came out, and all he said was, I'm really disappointed. I don't, I don't know the words exactly, because they'll talk about it at dinner, how I got it all wrong. So I'm going to admit right now, I don't have all the words for sure. And he said these words to me, basically all of us. I'm disappointed. Tomorrow you can take the car down to the shop, and you can get it repaired because of what you did. And he turned around and walked away. And I went, that, that was pretty easy. Until I took the car to the shop the next morning. I didn't have a lot of money in my bank. I had just a little over $100 in the bank at that time. And the windshield repair came to $102.32 exactly. And I remember it to this day. It was the absolute best punishment my dad could have ever gave me. Completely wiped me out. I would have rather had a spanking, but I was a little too old for it. Would have rather have been grounded for a month. But he made the punishment fit the, the crime. And there wasn't any way I could get upset with that because there wasn't anything about the way that he administered the punishment that would make me want to retaliate back against him. I just had to accept it. And I couldn't be mad at him. And it was right. 
That's the kind of nurturing and discipline. We all have different personalities and it looks different. But that's the idea of a nurturing in the Lord. So may I say this? We are often really good at providing and protecting of our kids, like we are our wife. But probably the biggest struggle for men is the investment into our kids' life spiritually. Because it just never stops. <laughs> it's not always convenient. Shell left me with Remington when he was young, about two years old. And I was in the middle of a project. Projects get in our way. And sometimes watching kids get in the way of the project. And I just had Remington, so, so it was pretty good. He's about two. I've got him quarantined into the, the two different rooms. He can't go anywhere. The dog's with him. So I should be able to do my project and not pay attention to Remington. Well, next thing I know, there, there's little pieces of Remington's diaper on the carpet. And I get after Remington. Remington, quit, quit picking at your diaper. What are you doing? And I clean it up. A little bit later, there's a little bit more diaper on the carpet in pieces. And I'm looking at Remington, and he's looking at the dog. I'm like, ah, uh, the dog is tearing at your diaper. So now I'm after the dog. But I'm still not paying attention, and I'm still not investing. Michelle comes home many hours later, and there's pieces of diaper on the carpet. She says, what, what is this? I go, ah, that dog? I have been after it, but it keeps picking at Remington. And she said, when's the last time you changed Remington? Change Remington? My excuse? Because I heard it before and thought it would work. Well, Michelle, the box said up to 30 pounds, you should be good for the whole week, let alone a couple hours. I, I was negligent as a parent because something that was important to me was more important than taking care of Remington. And, and that can be humorous, but bring it to a spiritual realm. When as a dad, I fail to invest in the spiritual welfare of my child. And I think that's where we struggle the hardest as dad. And again, we, we can't change our kids' hearts. God can. And we can do things right, and a child could still rebel. They have their own spirit and their own will. So I'm not, I'm not saying that can't still happen. I'm just saying this is probably one of the biggest struggles because it was in Israel's time too. And in Malachi, we, we hear Malachi talking about Elijah turning the hearts of the father towards their children. And John the Baptist comes and the kingdom of God is coming. And what does he preach? The, 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 the representative of Elijah, John the Baptist, he preaches that he's going to turn the hearts of the children, or excuse me, the fathers to their children. 
And the idea of that is when a father's heart is turned toward the child, it's not that he's just paying attention to the child, but it's really the idea that he's turning the child back to where his attention should be, which at that time would be the Old Testament law. Like in Deuteronomy 6, they didn't have time to always sit down, but we find he's commanding them that as you are sitting down, teach this law. As you're out in the field, teach this law. As you are doing this and as you're doing that, teach the law. In other words, it was a comprehensive thing that took place in all of life as they were going through life. It was just on the mind. The idea of John the Baptist asking the peoples, the fathers, to turn their hearts back to the children was pretty much that idea. I think that's true today, too. That maybe at this time, more than any time, and I think every generation says it, there is a need to turn hearts back to Jesus Christ as supreme. There's a need to have a heart submitted to him. And a dad plays a particular role in that that only a dad can play. And so does a mom. So maybe my challenge today to myself and and to others, I'm only going to be as effective in this message as I am submitted to Jesus Christ. And it's not foolproof. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be roses. It's just my responsibility. And if you're a granddad, you get to still help. You don't get to retire yet. Titus says older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in the faith, sound in love, and steadfast. Heart, Heart committed to Jesus Christ. And don't ever underestimate the role of a grandparent coming alongside in that too. And may God help us as a Church, may God help us as independent families. Turn the heart of our children, at least those that we have contact and influence with, back towards the truths of Scripture and back towards submission to Jesus Christ. And may God help us more than anything in our own lives have our hearts submitted to Jesus Christ so that God may get the glory, so that we may see what God might do in the lives of individuals, And we'll give him praise and we'll give him glory. Lord God, you are the almighty God and there isn't anybody like you and we're thankful for that. Lord, you are patient with us. Lord, you're like a father who chastises us. Lord, help us to understand that regardless of where we find each ourselves in life right now or or our relationships right now that that it's never too late to begin investing in our children investing in our wives and Lord I pray for those who are investing there, there can be discouragement there can be turns in life and our children can still walk away Lord we know that Help us to remain faithful. 
Help us to remain still investing. Lord, we pray that you would reach the heart of children that have walked away. You, you can do that. We would pray for that. But help us to just continue to invest and continue to be submitted to you and continue to be faithful so that we can give you all the glory that you might be able to say, well done, thou faithful servant. And we'll give you thanks for it. In your name we pray. Amen.